Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and good day, magnificent Cosmic Podcast family. We have an absolutely outstanding episode of the show for you today. We have my friend from the Resonant Science Foundation and the trip we did in Egypt, Marshall Lefferts, on, and we're talking about his new book, Cosmometry, Exploring the Hollow Fractal, Nature of the Cosmos and Consciousness. This is an amazing episode. We talk about the work of Buckminster Fuller, geodesic domes, the nature of reality, Reality, what sacred geometry is versus cosmometry, the work of David Bohm, the next octave, the Thrive documentary, why the universe is inherently super abundant, the work of Roger Nelson and the Pear Research Lab, uh, what humanity needs to do to shift to the next octave and to world peace, and so much more. This is an absolutely outstanding episode. I know you're going to love it. If you do like it, please share this episode. Take a screenshot and share on Instagram. Tag me at Matt Belair. Let me know where you're listening, what you liked, and if you have any questions. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Just take a moment, go leave a review on iTunes. They help tremendously for algorithms. There's a lot of podcasts out there, and it um, just inspires people, ideally, if you like it, to listen to this one. And there are lots of other amazing ones, too. But if you want to support, leave a review on iTunes. Also, Patreon. Thank you so much to every single person who has contributed. I really, really appreciate it. And I want to thank Tanya Killen so much, who actually made a donation nation a couple times on paypal which is really rare and really awesome so it helps especially because it was in great british pounds which is like a bazillion canadian dollars because her dollar is not worth the most right now Um, but thank you so much for doing that i really appreciate it Um, but the best thing that you can do is one kind act today if you want to support the show when you really want to hear the message and and receive the content please do one kind act for another human being today pick up a piece of trash pay it forward let someone in in traffic listen to someone just do one kind act and that would be the best way to support the show. For those of you guys who are interested in leveling up and you want some support and help uncovering your life purpose or moving towards a life of more meaning, breaking through limiting beliefs and things holding you back, and learn how to program and design your preferred reality mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, or you want to dive deeper into peak performance, the law of attraction, and all things mystical and learn the tools, systems, and strategies of the world's elite entrepreneurs and athletes, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. It would be a privilege to work with you. I have a few clients right now and and some incredible people I've worked with in the past just doing really incredible stuff. So I would love to hear from you and work with you in that. If that interests you or you want me to speak to your group or your staff or your organization, whether on Zoom or in person, same thing, matt at zenathlete.com. And I am happy to help you out. So that wraps it up. Uh, Go to mattbelair.com and sign up for the email list. Share with your friends, hug a friend, do something nice for someone today and let's uh, get into this incredible episode with Marshall Leverett. So before we do, let's come into a state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Taking a deep breath in through your nose. 
hold that breath and just let it out slowly filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace joy empowerment connection wonder awe enthusiasm and ready to take on this amazing episode with marshall lefferts hello and welcome to the mastermind body and spirit show i'm your host matt belair Today's guest is founder and director of the Cosmometry Project, board member of the Resonant Science Foundation and president from 2006 to 2019 and adjunct faculty of RSF's Resonance Academy. He was the associate producer of Thrive, What on Earth Will It Take? and visual effects coordinator of Thrive 2 to be released in 2020. He was former co-director of the Foundation for Conscious Evolution and a lifetime member of the Buckminster Fuller Institute and Chapel of Sacred Mirrors. He is the author of the brand new book, Cosmometry, Exploring the Hollow Fractor Nature of the Cosmos. Welcome to the show, Marshall Lefferts. Thank you, Matt. Awesome to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while, having met you in Egypt a couple of years ago. Had a great time there with the with the residents uh, delegate uh, trip we took. Yeah, and man, it's it's been a while. You've been doing some amazing work, and I was lucky to get a preview of your book that launched yeah. today, man. Massive, massive congratulations. Thank you, thank you. I'm super excited to finally get it out there. Forty years in the making, and most people don't even know what's been going on inside this head. So now <laughs> I can actually put it out there. So it feels really good. Yeah, man, it's a- celebrating with you today. Oh, dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm so privileged to be the first one talking to you because you sent me the book and I'm going through it and, and you're, you're sharing some of the chapters to have a look because I only had about you know five days to, to take a peek. And I'm going through these chapters and I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, like the, mm-hmm. each chapter in itself is just something that opens up like a, a rabbit hole that I'm just so curious about and the way that you're connecting the dots and the way that you're, you're viewing the world and shaping this and sharing the material is really Amazing. So why don't we just begin with a little bit about who you are, um, how you started writing this book, your research, and um, you know some of the things that were in it, because we're, we can explore so many different directions. Sure. That sounds great. Well, as you mentioned, um, I am uh, involved with the Resonant Science Foundation, which is Nassim Haramain's organization. So I've known Nassim for close to 20 years now and have been uh, mostly vicariously learning his unified physics because I'm not a physicist, uh, but I get to hang out with him and the researchers and get exposed to a lot of that, those ideas. So I've, I've learned a lot. And, um, but prior to meeting the sim back actually in the late 1970s, I, I actually had this kind of frying pan over the head, waking up experience in my first year of college that just popped me in a different state of consciousness. And it didn't solve all my <laughs> problems, but it made me realize there was something bigger going on in the world. And, uh, and shortly after that, I actually got two very seminal things happen. Uh, first one was, one was I studied Aikido, which you're probably familiar with because you're very much into the uh, athleticism and the, the Zen of uh, the Zen athlete uh, approach. And Aikido for me is like embodies that kind of principle. Um, and so it was really great exposure to the embodiment of what has become some of the core uh, knowledge and information that's in my book around the, the Taurus and the flow dynamic that exists throughout the universe. And the second thing was, um, 
coming upon the writings of Buckminster Fuller. He's the man that invented the geodesic dome and uh, was really one of the most seminal thinkers of the 20th century um, in regards to, well, how to make the humanity be a success on the planet by what he called a comprehensive uh, design revolution rather than any kind of other kind of conflict resolution or, you know, through conflict um, revolution. But uh, very importantly for what's in my book, he was studying what he called nature's coordinate system. And he wrote these incredible books called Synergetics that are a very, very deep dive into um, his discoveries around the geometry that he, you can find in nature and throughout the cosmos. And so his work became very foundational for me and some of the core aspects of what he was writing about um, became really guiding principles and understanding for my quest over these 40 years. And uh, when I met Nassim 20 years ago, uh, I, he, his pres in his presentation about his physics, he was referring to Buckminster Fuller's work and this whole toroidal pattern that had become something I, I had become aware of through my embodiment and you know, practices with the Joe staff, which I still do to this day because it's just a beautiful way to experience these dynamic energies. And uh, so when I saw his presentation, I, I, I didn't know a lot about physics, but I just knew that he was probably right because of what he was basing his model on. And it was different from anything else I'd heard about physics prior to that. And so now after these uh, almost 20 years, I, and the Sims work is just so groundbreaking and, and uh, really seems to be solving the major problems in physics at this time. Um, so it's a, the work of Buckminster Fuller and the work of Nassim, and I'm a musician, I've been, been a musician my whole life, so understanding the, the system of music, you know, enough of training in music theory to understand that system, I came to realize that the cosmic geometry, the unified physics and music are all describing one unified system in a very beautiful, simple and elegant way. And so that's the essence of what cosmometry is and what it's about in the book. And, you know, the other component is consciousness, which I know is a big part of your, you know, your interest in how does this all relate to us? Uh, and so that's another key aspect of what's in my book as well. That's amazing, man. I'm so excited to, to dive in even deeper because, like I said, I've had a preview of these chapters and just each one. Um, inspires so much curiosity and imagination and very rarely am I so excited about uh, a book when I'm shared with it and how well-rounded this is. So what I wanted to talk about, you shared on a little bit, you said there's three lenses in which this book is um, like kind of created or seen from or how you got that information. So why don't we start there? Cause you touched on it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so the, first of all, the, this word cosmometry is not a familiar word for most people. Um, generally this field of knowledge is, is referred to as sacred geometry. And I, I feel like that's a very important aspect of this, what's a really a larger field of knowledge. And um, so I, many years ago, was looking for what, what could be another name for this field. And I was thinking about how it's not just geometry, earth-based geo, meaning earth, but it's cosmic. It's cosm cosmometry. And this word cosmometry came into my mind. And, you know, I thought it was kind of funny sounding and yet uh, in interesting. And uh, 
when I did a web search on it, I, I found that it's been in, in the English language for a few hundred years, but it's not in use. It's never been popularized. And uh, it was interesting because there were two scientific papers that referenced it. And then there were six entries from channel writings from masters of the, of the Syrian star system. <laughs> so, and they apparently really get this cosmometry is very important. <laughs> so um, the way I define it is that it's the, the study of fundamental patterns, structures, systems, and processes that we can find that are informing, literally bringing into form uh, the, the universe and ourselves and our world as we experience it. And um, myself and many others, going with Buckminster Fuller and David Bohm and Asim and Foster Gamble, who I work with, um, and many others are discerning what these, these uh, patterns are and um, so it's kind of a mapping out in relationship to the geometry. And the, so then you ask me about these three lenses that are the, the way that I'm going into this topic uh, as a whole. And so the three, three lenses are the cosmic geometry, which are the patterns we can see in nature and the ones we can conceptualize as being there um, based on some of what Buckminster Fuller was writing about and the torus flow dynamics. These are all the kind of the physical and pattern and geometric relationship aspects that we can discern. And then the second lens is the unified physics model, which is based on Nassim's unified physics that I've been studying for a long time. And, uh, and it's based on the same understanding of the geometry that came from Bucky Fuller and beyond. Um, and then the third component, the third lens, is music. And music is a system of harmonic relationships that we're familiar with. You know, we, we're familiar with what music is in our daily experience. Um, and the most significant and important thing to, to realize about music, even though we're, it's, you know, we kind of take it for granted, like, oh, yeah, music, um, is that we didn't invent music. We discovered it. You know, it's, it's a system of vibratory relationships that exists in the universe, whether we had ears to hear it or not, <laughs> you know. It's a, and it's not just sound vibrations as we experience, but it's sound and light. They're both the same vibratory systems and they're actually can convert from one to the other very readily. And so this system of harmonic relationships of music is what is organizing. It's like the, I call it the master code. It's like what's organizing the way the universe is um, coming into its harmonic relationships at all scales. And there are many examples of how that, how that is um, understood in, in physics and in the patterns of nature, and et cetera. So those are the three lenses through which uh, I have viewed what cosmometry is in this book. Awesome, man. Well, it reminds me of having uh, Eric Rankin on the show. And one of the things that I found interesting and, and feel personally is that music is a very powerful way for understanding the universe. And it has a lot of relation to mathematics, to patterns, to geometry, to all of those different things. So I find a, a musical IQ um, individual has a very firm grasp on reality. And they seem to be, not always, obviously, um, but they seem to have a, a, you know, a very balanced um, way of life they're they're more zen if you will and and the way that they 
think and the way they perceive and the way that they problem solve through the power of music. And I think it's a very important understanding. And I'm sure you're aware of Eric Rankin's work and some of the things that he's discovered through music and those vibrational patterns that otherwise Absolutely. people wouldn't have that um, viewpoint because a lot of the time, if you're really good at math or science, you don't have the creative, not always, but it's not as common. And a lot of time, if you're musical, sometimes you don't have the physics side or whatever. So to combine the two and combine those viewpoints with the work of David Bohm and Buckminster Fuller is, is very powerful. Mm. No, it's absolutely right. And I do know Eric's work. As a matter of fact, I actually snuck in another interview with him and Michelle last night. <laughs> nice. So, so that was really fun. That was the first time we had a chance to talk. And uh, he, he was really thrilled about what's in my book as well. And, and of course, his work has just helped so much to get the whole idea of this correlation of music to the geometry out in the world. And, uh, and yeah, I agree with you. You know, the, being a musician all my life, um, and there's many studies about what music does to brain states and, and the growing of neurons in our brains and things like that. Um, and I really feel it's because, um, you know, the, again, this harmonic system is inherent in the universe. And a lot of what I am uh, writing about, about the musical aspect comes uh, in reference to the work of a man named Richard Merrick. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Richard Merrick. He wrote an amazing book called Interference. I think it's called A Grand Musical Scientific Theory. Uh, big fat book, pretty intense in some of its technical side, but also conceptually just, just amazing. Uh, I learned so much from reading his book and incorporated uh, a number of ideas into what I was writing. And, and, you know, one of the most significant is that the reason that we, our physiology is designed the way it is, is, you know, not to make it convenient to hear music or sound, but because that is the actual geometric shape of sound, you know, this, the, the, in the universe, it's a, it's a spiraling algorithmic vibratory, you know, set of frequencies. And so the most natural thing to organize the physiology in, in each of us would be to come into that form that is already present, basically in space, you could say, <laughs> You know, and we emerge from the nothingness into form. And as we do, the most natural thing is to actually take on those exact kinds of spiraling shapes and those harmonic proportions. And they're actually found in different ways in our body. But, you know, so as a musician, uh, I, I really feel that when we experience directly music, we're, um, we're engaging in a direct relationship with something that's actually happening in the universe, you know, in space, beyond us and through us and through everything. Um, and that's true with people who just listen to music or are dancers. Um, you know, it's, it's still the same thing. I do know that people who play music, there are these studies that, you know, like you said, it kind of opens up maybe different doors of perception or, you know, however you, however you might say it. But uh, I think it's a significant, significant aspect of, uh, what you're talking about. 
Well, when you said that, what it, what it brought up for me was like fields, you know, I never thought the way that you shared it, I never thought about it like that, like the music creating like a field and just literally generating that because when you go to Burning Man or you go to a festival or even uh, a different bar or pub or whatever, if you go look at an orchestra or you go look at rock music or heavy metal versus jazz, they create different fields. And you can also tell when one's in harmony and when it's out of harmony. And then that we can add on to that pretty much forever. And you know, in your book, it really dives into deep talk- topics. Right now, you're talking a little bit, you know, more on the music front. And, and just to let people know, like, the chapter six, music, the master code, you have, a, you know, the holographic symphony, music basics, harmonic symmetry. Um, there's so much in this. And then you start the book with wholeness, holographic, holographic wholeness, fractal wholeness, um, synergistic wholeness, and more. This is just covering... Um, the basis and you know ultimately you get to the next octave and this is where we talked a little bit before the show which I find fascinating because there's so much interesting information out there um, and there's a lot of fluff you know there's a lot of stuff that that is just you know it sounds good and it could be true we don't know but there's a lot of fluff and the way that you've kind of shared in the next octave how it might be uh, potentially possible and you can speak on this but the way that I kind of view it is a more cohesive reality something better something more harmonic for the individual and the collective in a more grounded way so I don't know if we want to start there because it's a deep topic um, yeah but too. yeah yeah go for it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's like the big picture right there. Uh, and it's, it, it's for me and why I wrote that is it's what, you know, what makes everything that preceded that in the book uh, have uh, a, a sense of relevance to our, our experience here on earth and, and how this can actually literally help us to make this transition we're in on this planet. You know, we all know we're, we're, feeling the, the turbulence of the world pretty strongly in many fronts, in the social fronts and political and in environmental, ecological, you know, pretty much every front, really. Um, and so the idea of, of this uh, section of the book called The Next Chapter, I mean, sorry, The Next Octave, uh, is that there is a, from a, from a musical perspective, when when you have two notes that are like the same, like a C note, uh, one octave and then a higher octave, and then you take the lower one and you slowly bring it up closer to the, to the, other, the higher one to come into unison with that, where it's the same frequency, right before that happens, you get this intense turbulence, musical vibratory turbulence, and you can hear it, you can feel it. It's very unsettling. Um, and that, to me, is what we're experiencing here on, on the planet in our, you know, our collective feel. And I think it's, I think it's actually a, a literal vibrational shift that we're at the threshold of uh, coming into right before we reach what would be the next octave of unison in, our, in a harmonic resonant experience as you know, human beings living on this planet. And we're in that extreme turbulence time. And um, so that's, that's kind of a, a, a symptomatic way of looking at what's happening from a musical perspective. Um, but what's important about the idea of this next, next octave is that we have the opportunity through understanding what I have in my book, through understanding the Sims physics, through understanding applications uh, of the zero point field, the unified field in 
in health using frequency-based uh, medicine. That is, it's available. You know, it's it's coming out soon. <laughs> in certain ways, it's happening. I'm sure you're aware of some of that. Um, in generating energy from the field, in environmental restoration through basically re um, reconnecting with the original quantum blueprint uh, that's in water, for example, it's there. It's just that we've distorted it in ways. So if we can restore that, um, you know, these are all, and these are all possible. I, I'm exposed to a, a lot of interesting uh, technologies and modalities that a number of which are not out in the world yet. And, but nonetheless, they are very real and they do work. And, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, there are certain powers in the world that don't want these kinds of shifts quite yet. You know, I think it's inevitable. Um, but so the idea of the next octave is when humanity makes that shift, we will be able to harmonize ourselves with nature and the cosmos again, which is already in harmony with itself. We're just, you know, we're wobbling pretty badly. <laughs> And yet we have this opportunity with, with the capacities we have, like you said, very grounded, not fluff, you know, idealism, which is good to hold. It's actually really good to hold the ideal in mind because it helps to set the clear intention, but then to actually ground it in the applications and capacities we have to make it real. And it's, it's very close at hand. That's the good news, you know, and we, it's hopefully just in time because <laughs> we're on the edge as I'm sure you know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, you touched on a lot of great points there. And I kind of want to just open up a whole bag of worms with that because, you know, you worked on Thrive documentary of both of them. And I invite anyone who has not seen that to check out the documentary. And as I understand it, the second one was about looking at what technologies exist now or where are we at with science and our understanding of physics to create solutions for these massive problems that we are aware of the first you got to identify there's a problem and then you can create a solution and you speak about in in the introduction um about passing the big test in the planet and i don't know if that that idea came from buckminster fuller but i like the way that you talk about the octaves in this in this mm. um incoherence if you will as we come together and i've heard that from many different ways mostly fluff but it looks also from just observing the planet you're like this is, this is crazy. Like what is going on here? And um, I just like to think about peace and cooperation and what's, what's possible if we, you know, I, I'll do like hashtag team earth. Like what if we cooperated, yeah. the scientists, the physics, um, the people, yeah. everybody just got together, figured out the biggest problems and we put our heads together. We, we move money to a side. We, we try to figure it out, but we need to survive. It's such a competitive world. So it's hard to, you know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you don't mm. have food, water, shelter, it's really hard to be uh, yeah. great in your community because you're worried about how to get a sandwich, how to give your kids a sandwich, how to get the Nike cleats and all this type of stuff. Um, so yeah, maybe you can speak on that a little bit. There's more, but I'll just leave, I'll leave it there. Yeah. Well, you, you, you're absolutely right. And um, you were mentioning Thrive um, and the, the first Thrive one, which was called Thrive, what on earth will it take? Uh, came out in 2011, and if anybody hasn't seen that, they can go to thrivemovement.com and watch it for free. It's in 27 languages. It has over 86 million documented views now. Um, and it's a very powerful kind of expose of some of what's in my book, the fundamental pattern and geometry and understanding how that informs new technologies. And then 
looking at the, the challenges we have with the, um, the systems that are inhibiting these things to happen in the world, they're actually uh, causing a lot of disruption. Um, and then the, the way we can approach solutions in the long run based on understanding these harmonic models. So the Thrive, that's a nutshell of what Thrive 1 covers. It covers a tremendous amount <laughs> beyond that. Thrive 2 is in the works right now. And like you were saying, um, uh, basically after Thrive 1 came out, Foster and Kimberly Gamble, who are the filmmakers, um, they were contacted from people around the world. Um, and with different kinds of um, inventions and discoveries and some of which are just ideas and but they had like a thousand different possible interesting new developments and innovations that uh, they ultimately got a team and did some vetting and uh, found a, a number that were actually very real and very much ready to be brought into application and all of which are based upon an understanding that there is a unified field. You know, we, we understand, we've all sensed it in our spiritual traditions and we speak of it. When it comes to science, um, you know, for, for a few hundred years, it's been very materially oriented and, and between the material is empty space and there isn't a connection between things. And the past hundred years, we've had the, the quantum revolution, which has been saying, well, wait a minute, Things are entangled, you know, these, these uh, atoms are entangled and photons are entangled and there's experimental proof of that now. Um, but more significantly now we're understanding the geometry and the physics of the unified field. And, uh, and that is enabling us to, to really be able to make the kinds of shifts that um, are needed in the world, you know, to actually, to, to, again, grounded into a practical reality um, and to enable us to stabilize this highly turbulent situation um, and to do so in ways that are liberating for people. For instance, like you were saying, you know, people in Maslow's hierarchy who don't have these kinds of needs fulfilled at a very basic survival level can't really be open so easily to the kinds of higher level, you know, collaboration and creativity and innovation that people like you and I are more able to participate in. And um, you know, the beautiful thing about a lot of these new technologies is they, they, are, uh, they, they are capable of empowering those people to find that basic level of sustenance of survival of thriving actually at, at the fundamental levels and um, to do so without having to have a, a, a large overhead of kind of infrastructure put in place to supply that. So it's low impact on the environment and uh, high impact on those people's lives, both in terms of energy generation and, uh, and health and well-being, and also like, water purification and all that environmental restoration so um yeah it's it's actually really super exciting and um thrive two it will be a, a, a presentation around what is this field and uh, we've got some awesome visual effects that i'm helping to co-direct with foster uh, about that and uh, and then 
what are these innovations, some of them, just you know, a few to, that are really all tapping the same understanding that the universe is based on the frequency, the vibration, and resonance. So whether it's in health technologies or energy, environmental restoration, all through understanding the vibratory uh, aspect and the ability to restore it into harmonic structure. Amazing things happen when you do that. <laughs> Not surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, there's so much there. And what I always think about is just the uh, advancement of technology and how it's exponentially growing. If you look at the leaps from, let's say, I don't know, 1000 to 1100 or like the 1800s to the 1900s, yeah. 1900s to 2000, but you look at 2000 to 2020, like how it's exponentially growing so fast, the leaps that we're experiencing, we can't even keep up. So if we can move our momentum, our intention, our dollars towards using that science for global good, for global change, I think that it is very possible to make groundbreaking discoveries in pretty much every area of science, of health, of wellness, of cleaning up the water, of giving everybody the basic needs, food, water, shelter. Um, You know, and I was always curious when I was younger, like, when I started kind of down the rabbit hole of looking at the world and all the insane problems, I was like, how do we still have war? And why am I sitting here? And like, we can't feed Africa rice because I see these starving kids on my TV every day. I was like, rice cannot be that much. You know, there's so many yeah. multimillionaires. What is actually going on? And then I learned about organizational systems, structures, and yeah. who knows what the hell's going on there, but something is impeding this and it's not ideal. And we need to come together to, you know, look at these problems and solve them, not wait for a government or an organization or anything outside of the global community to align and figure this out together. And we could have some incredible technologies and uh, tools to support us, but it's going to take people together. And the one thing that I really like at the beginning of the book you touch on is um, our worldview. And you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about how we have our own perception. I think that's so brilliant and important because me growing up in Canada, you know, I'm going to be playing hockey and cheering for this team or whatever. This is a stupid example, but in the States, (laughs) you might be playing football, cheering for that team. And it's just how we identify, right? If you're in the South, you'll probably be a Christian. If you're, you know, in the Middle East, you're probably a Muslim, not always. Um, But, but you're, but your environment from what you experience directly, that's going to be your truth. Then you're going to seek understanding. But the way that you weave in culture and the worldview and how that influences us and how it influences our consciousness and our choices, I think is a very important point to make right at the beginning of the book. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, is, it is really key, our worldview. Um, it defines our beliefs, our behaviors, our choices. Um, and we have uh, a personal worldview, which is, you know, I'm me and I, this is the way I think and how I believe and how I act and the choices I make. And then we have a shared wor- worldview, which is cultural in great degree. Uh, it's education, the education we have, um, our spiritual religious beliefs and institutions and how they inform our beliefs, our personal beliefs. And so we have... Um, you know, the, the worldview is, is actually just fundamental to how we look at the world, ourselves, and just the universe as a whole. Um, and so what I'm writing about in the beginning of my book there is that it's, it's a key aspect to making the shift that we're in now on the planet, to, to, to really actually take a look at what is our worldview. And our worldview has been very much informed, as, as I said before, by a materialist 
based scientific model that got put in place a few hundred years ago and has really perpetuated uh, the, the idea of this separation and scarcity um, because when you just look at the material side of things and the earth as a limited resource, uh, it can look pretty, pretty darn scarce and limited. And that's been dominating then the, the way culture has formed. And the scientific model has very much supported that. And so what we're at the threshold of now is a shift in the scientific worldview. And um, as we talk about in the Resonance Academy delegate program, which, which is to study the unified physics, uh, it's a shift from a worldview of separation and disconnection that has been in science to one of un unity and connection and from a very scientific perspective. And the, the science of, that Nassim and uh, his researchers are doing and many other scientists around the world and researchers is really making it very obvious. <laughs> if it weren't already, and it, 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 it's, it's really obvious now that everything in the universe is connected and we're actually immersed in a sea of energy. And uh, that, in fact, the foundation of our experience, experiential reality is, is superabundance. It's not scarcity at all. It's superabundance. And just one example I love, it blew me away when I learned this, um, is the proton, which is the, the little whirlwind of energy that's spinning at near the speed of light inside at the center in the nucleus of atoms are the little protons. And um, they are not known to decay, you know, where other particles in particle physics have a decay period and atomic structures have a decay, a half-life it's called. And the protons, you know, I, was, I was researching this and the current estimated half-life of a proton is four times the age of the universe. <laughs> so, <laughs> The thing that makes up our physical reality across the entire universe does not decay. As a matter of fact, it's eternal, basically, as far as we can tell. Which means that the very foundation of our physical universe, and it's an energetic universe, is super abundant. And um, so where is the proton getting that energy from to spin endlessly like that? And that's the underlying field, this unified field, what Nassim calls the Planck field. And um, I won't go too much into the technical side of that at the moment, but the point is, is that when you understand that's the true nature of the foundation of our universe, it's super abundant, and that we're now developing technologies that can access that in all these different ways I described before, that changes our worldview fundamentally. You know, and for example, as soon as we have unlimited, <clears throat> clean, free energy, technology, the, the whole concept of an, an economy and an economic system gets fundamentally changed because our current systems are based on scarcity and limitation. And when you reverse the equation, what does it mean then? So it's a, it's a huge shift in our worldview and, and it goes beyond culture at this point. It goes into more of a universal understanding. And that's part of what I feel is happening in the, the human collective consciousness in, in our worldview is we're, we're, we're transcending some of those more 
localized cultural and personal beliefs and worldviews into a more cosmic and unified understanding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You touched on a lot of important points there. You know, even the economic structure, it's the, the most fundamental. You know, I, I've definitely gone down some deep rabbit holes of just like, you know, where does money come from? And, you know, there's a lot of great documentaries. I touched on it a little bit on Thrive. Um, you know, just look at the paper receipt for the silver note. Just just even there, you used to exchange gold for the paper receipt. That's your receipt. Now we're using it as money. Then it goes yeah. into all this craziness. And the challenge is that these organizations or institutions or whatever you want to call them, they hold a great deal of power because that's how we're trading in the world right now. And so for that worldview to change, to have free energy, which we should be able to figure out, I think, or at least a better, uh, you know, a better alternative. Just one stupid example is like the tolls. And I think it's in Maine or in other places, I'm sure they've done this, but the toll road is supposed to be, you pay the toll and then it's free, but then they just keep charging you. And so like what's, what's actually happening here and things like this are happening on a, on a global scale. So it's important that if we can create a technology or a worldview, we can literally shift things so fast and it opens up just, you know, another example is, is, is like the four minute mile. It's like, what are we capable yeah. of when we, when we go to the moon? It's like, what are we capable of? We think bigger, we dream bigger. Um, our possibilities become more. And another one's when I was snowboarding, you know, a 720 or a rodeo was a huge deal. Now, yeah you look at the snowboarders today and you're doing switch triple cork 1440s and it's an evolution. And ideally collectively we can evolve as a species to something much more magnificent, more, more beautiful. And um, I want to touch on this for sure, because you know, just your chapter seven on consciousness and the human experience could be such a profound book in itself. And I'm going to read every one in there because it's important, but it's consciousness, hologramic blueprint, the human nature experience, cosmometry of being human, the feeling body, intention, attention, love, and joy, cohering the noosphere, the noosphere, right? Harmony. And so cohering the noosphere, I find uh, really fascinating. I don't know if we want to start there, but why don't you, why don't you tell us like of that chapter and all the amazing goodness in there? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, who, crap, I'm blanking on his name, but he's on the podcast, Roger Nelson. Um, did work on the noosphere and he was like, I think he's episode 88 and um, just talked about basically the global consciousness and, and the unified feel is, is similar to that in understanding that it's not just dead space, that we're interacting with something and that something is very important. And if you look at Eastern views, they already know this. That's in all of, you know, they're, they're taking account for that energy. It's chi and force. Like they already know this. And it's thousands of years old. It's just Western thinking. Um, is just totally disregarding it. And I think that that's where the shift is coming is starting to take account to this unseen force. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, so fundamentally we're talking about consciousness now and uh, it, it's always been the most difficult topic because First of all, there's no real agreement yet on where does that even come from? You know, when, when you're looking at a physical model of the universe, where does that come from? And um, typically these days it's, it's considered a, in the kind of more mainstream models an epiphenomenon of the brain. And so the brain is actually generating consciousness. And when you, when you come to understand, like you said, there's a greater field that we're immersed in not only physically, but of mind, of consciousness, um, which I firmly believe is the case, um, 
then the the body, the physical system, beca becomes more uh, seen more as an antenna. The brain, the heart, the central nervous system, the solar plexus, um, amazing fractal network of electrical, electromagnetic uh, communication is seen then as an antenna in, in a larger field that's our physical, uh, biological field or self, and then what's called the biofield, which is the extension beyond the physical that is still a localized experience of ourself. It's still ourself. <laughs> and the, but there's not a distinct boundary then with the rest of the universe. There's actually a deep, intimate connection with the rest of the universe. Now, on the planetary scale, that greater field is called the noosphere, which is the, the thinking layer of the planet. It's the, the, the mind layer, not just of humans, um, but of plants and animals and you know, the general field of intelligence. Um, and there are a couple of studies I cite in that chapter, uh, one with, with the HeartMath Institute and their Global Coherence Initiative, which has magnetometers all around the world that are measuring the sun's geo, uh, the, the magnetic um, energies that are coming from the sun, the solar, you know, the the solar winds and, the, and everything that's impacting the Earth's magnetic field, and how those impacts then correlate to our human experience, and in fact, they're very strong correlations. You know, we are directly influenced by what's called the geomagnetic um, and the solar activity. So how we're feeling one day could be really crappy, but it's not because we're having a bad day. It's because there's some heavy geomagnetic activity going on. And they have lots of data that correlates this very clearly. And then there's another um, research project from Princeton University. It's called PEAR, P-E-A-R. And they, they were um, they had random, and they have random number generators around the world uh, that when there are significant global collective experiences that are highly emotional, um, a good example was the, the death of Princess Diana that just suddenly went boom, or the towers, you know, getting hit with the planes, you know, boom, something happened and there was a collective experience emotionally. These random number generators would show a statistical deviation from randomness and over 450 of these tests they also showed that there is a direct shared experience in the noosphere and they both basically came to the conclusion that there's one field of consciousness we're all intimately connected and entangled in it um, and it's non-local meaning it's not more str strong influence on this side of the planet than it is over here it's equally distributed. And so from a physical perspective, you know, we have the, uh, the ionosphere, we have the geomagnetic, the magnetic field and the geomagnetic um, interactions with the solar system and with all of biology. And it's all intimately interconnected. And, um, you know, fundamentally, uh, there's a quote in my book from, uh, Irvin Schrodinger, who you know is famous for what he came up with the wave equations in physics, um, and he just said, you know, there's there's really only one mind. There's not a multiplicity of minds. There's only one mind, and this is from a very, you know, rigorous physicist. 
back in the day. And uh, so the idea of cohering the noosphere is actually, like we were talking about before, making that shift into this coherent state. And there are some, there are some cool practices that I have, and I think I'm sure you do too, and I'd love to hear about some of what you work with, you know, with your Zen athlete approach, because it's mind and body integration. And you know, like I said, I studied Aikido and I learned about the Dantian. And then I later learned that there's three Dantian, one in your belly, one in your higher heart, and one in the center of your head. And when you center yourself in these, these energy centers, you know, an amazing coherence just comes in like that. Um, so there's some cool practices. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about that a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, first I'll give a shout out um, because we mentioned a few times to Thrive, Foster, and Kimberly Gamble because they're very lovely people. You know, I met them in Egypt as well, and uh, uh, Foster is a brick. I I give him a hug, and he's like so thick. But you know, Aikido master as well, and it's interesting that you know, like martial arts people who really um, do the practice for the practice, they learn a lot about how to navigate consciousness. In this reality, because it really is about quality of consciousness, the external world is challenging for all of us. And I'm always learning, you know, I would say with everything I've learned, I'm, you know, I'm still angry and complain and and do all that. I'm like, I don't know where I would be without this, this training. And it's so important. You know, I think for me, the, the practices that I've learned is one important thing that I think that every single person should consider doing is learning how to quiet their mind. You just have to know how to do that because you're not going to be able to catch yourself when you go into negative spirals, when you just, you know, you're going into nonsense. Learning how to quiet your mind is so fundamental and just the power of nature. You know, if we want to keep it simple, I definitely have more complicated ones, but you know, if you're not even sure, just getting out in nature, having a walk and having a practice, you know, with, with your practice, you're, you're doing music. That's a beautiful way to express. That's meditation in itself when you're playing and you're experiencing and you're creating. That's wonderful. You, you are a creator here. How do you want to create? And that's why music art, sport, martial arts is so wonderful because you're in the music. I'm sure when you're playing your instruments or whatever you're doing, you're not thinking about your book or the stresses. Is it good? Is it, you know, you're just in there and that's such a a profound thing. So I'd love to hear about, um, you know, your views and some of the practices you found um, helpful. And then also just, you know, like cohering the self and the noosphere. Do you believe it's possible? Because I love at the beginning you talked about, you know, reality, like the patterns of nature and how they're harmonic and how we might be able to move towards that as an individual and a collective. And one of the things that I've heard and I resonate with is like a certain amount of people come into coherence, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. Like Mm -hmm. I don't believe in enlightenment the way I used to, but at least Mm -hmm. coherent, like maybe you go from like non-competition, right? You shouldn't worry about me stabbing you. Like that's, that's not on the, that's not on the agenda. You know what I mean? It's just, I'm not going to beat you with a club and steal your sandwiches. Like, let's just get there humanity. You know, it's like, it'd be fine. Let's work together. We'll, we'll build a boat or something. We'll all have fish. So, you know, even getting to that level of coherence, I feel like it would affect the noosphere, but also individually. And I think that that's what the awakening process is, is the individuals being able to go into those spaces and stay in coherent states because it's, it's a different vibrational feeling when you go into a bar and everybody's angry or one person, you feel it. You're like, something's off, something's going on. And that's the field. You go into a place and everybody's really happy. That's a field. You feel a different experience. Yeah. That's what I call the feeling body right there in my book. There's a chapter called the feeling body for that reason, because that's actually a, an innate aspect of our, our 
more subtle relationship to the field. And it's interesting the words field and feel are very similar. <laughs> so yeah, I, there's, you touched on a few things there and I'll, I'll kind of circle back to the beginning where you're talking about music and that experience of playing music. And um, what's been very interesting for me is that I, I play tabla drum as well as guitars and things. And um, tabla comes from India and it's amazing, extremely complex drums uh, that you have one in each hand and um, very profound. And I'm just fortunate that I can even do it. <laughs> You know, it's like, thank God. Um, I'm still, I haven't actually been anywhere where I can study it, so I'm just grateful that I can, I picked it up on my own. But as I've played tabla many, many times over these years, my mind would turn off, like you said, it would go into that quiet space. And, um, and then in the midst of playing, suddenly I would be having a revelation about more cosmic aspects, these patterns, these vibrational the, the musical harmonic relationships, I'd have this insight just come popping in and I'd quickly like write it down so I wouldn't forget. And I even write about it in my book, you know, the tabla has actually been one of my greatest teachers for that reason, because it's, it's actually, you know, the, the tabla is not separate from the universe. It is the universe. The vibratory head of a drum is the same thing as the vibratory states of an atom and everything else in the universe. And so when you have this intimate relationship with tuning it and hearing those vibratory states and then under, you know, for me, because I'm familiar with the geometry side of it, seeing kind of the geometric relationships that are at play, um, it opened a lot of, of inner doors, inner, inner doors of perception for me. And so, yeah, music is definitely one of the ways, um, but I agree with you stilling the mind is actually returning to that that fundamental still point that is is actually everywhere in the universe uh, it's another the section of my book is called starting from zero and it, it's talking about buckminster fuller's understanding of the what's called the vector equilibrium which is the only geometry where all of the vectors on the outside the edges and then the the vectors going to the center are all of equal length so it's the geometry of pure equilibrium which is a state of silence and stillness. And so when we still our minds and our bodies, we're actually tapping into that source. It's actually the most powerful source because everything is coming from that in the universe. And that's the, the field of pure potential. Uh, and it's fundamental to the Sims physics as well. And so we have that capacity uh, for tapping it and it's through these kinds of practices where we center ourselves, we make ourselves coherent and take that into our embodiment and into the world. For me, um, when I studied Aikido when I was 19, I was fortunate to study with teachers who were, who were teaching not only the, the practice of the martial art, but the understanding and relationship of the key energy uh, and the integration of mind and body and you know the very simple practice of taking your mind and putting it at what they call the one point down in the belly which is in Chinese tradition called the lower Dantian and when you when you just drop your mind there and center yourself in that place you you become physically coherent and it's amazing you know the, the transformation from being knocked off balance easily to being rock solid happens like that from being able to 
bend somebody's arm as opposed to then having them extend their key energy and no matter how strong you are, no matter how weak they are, they're now integrated in mind and body and it's instantly coherent. And I've done this with people many, many times. It's profound what's available to us just when we center ourselves and get out of the thinking head where we're up here and we're wobbly down into like our core center and our physical being. It creates this fantastic coherence just like that. And then we have the same thing in the higher heart here, another of these Dantian, the center points where we just focus our mind. What I do is, is I, I bring my awareness there and then I radiate the key energy like I'm a, like a star shining. You know, you just radiate that and it immediately sets up a coherent field. And then there's one more in our head. So you get all three of these going and it, it empowers a coherent state in ourselves. And it helps us to be less impacted emotionally and mentally and physically by the, the turbulence around us. And that engenders coherence. We bring, a co we bring ourselves coherently into the world through these kinds of practices. And that's how we can contribute to coherent the newosphere. So it's really simple. Some of these are super simple practices. You can do it anywhere, anytime. Just what I just described. Uh, and it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is simple. And it's so important. Like, you, you know, when you talk about intention, attention, love and joy, if you go into your mind and you, you just imagine a lemon and you bite the lemon, your mouth will water. This is an experiment mm -hmm. I do with a lot of people that I coach or I'll get oh. them to uh, imagine a shape and then I'll make it 3D, then I'll make it holographic and they're able to do that. But if you imagine in your mind and sometimes I'll do this with some of the people that I'm coaching or uh, as a thought experiment, I'll, I'll try to think of something awful. Like I don't want to make it too awful, but you know, when I say the awful thing, you know, it's usually around a pet and I imagine like something bad happens to the pet, right? <laughs> and I was like, how did you feel? And they're like, it felt terrible. Why'd you do that? And I was like, because what we put in our mind creates an emotional state. It, it changes the way our physiology reacts. It changes our thinking. It changes everything. So that's our intention and our attention. And so in martial arts, you need to be focused and aware you're present. You're there. And so many people in this world today, they don't ever have a break from what I refer to as just task list consciousness or stress consciousness mm -hmm. or anxiety consciousness or just just problem solving and going around and it's on and on and on and on and they never get a break ever. Yeah. And so yeah. putting in those breaks, whether it's music, going out in nature, sports, uh, meditation, whatever way you want to do it, you need to have those breaks. Otherwise you're going to be run by something else, some sort of external in influence because you're not going to have enough time to think, to yeah. reflect, to choose, uh, to intend. It's so mandatory to give yourself that time. And uh, so it's such, a, such an important part of, of just understanding our own consciousness and our own coherence, no matter where you are in the world. Because if you're 15, you're at one stage. If you're at 25, you're at another stage. If, if you're at the peak of your career at 42 and then you have a dive, you're at a different stage. Life <laughs> is very fascinating experience. And nobody really has a strong handle on it. You know, I just had yeah. Brian Keating on the podcast. He's a brilliant physicist. And he's just like, you know, one of the smartest businesses out there is like, we have no idea what's going on. You know, it's like I said all the time, it's like, we know a little bit, but like a little bit of like infinite, you know? So how can right. we, uh, you know, increase the quality of our consciousness? So what I want to ask you, because your book, it, it covers so many important topics. Um, you know, what do you see? What do you believe are the are fundamental things that need to happen to move into the next octave or into a world of peace? 
of, you know, if we looked around and like an alien spaceship was up or like, or we look at ourselves 50 years back and like, we're in the caveman days. We are in the dark ages. You know, we have people battling, there's famine, there's war. This is craziness. This is not an intelligent species being an intelligent species. You know, I can make theories about why that's happening and go into conspiracy world 101 and we can take accountability as each individual here and, and do our part to create more coherence within ourselves and our community. So what would yeah. be the most important things that you would see to shift humanity towards, quote unquote, a next octave, the new earth, whatever, fifth dimension, um, the Hopi prophecy, whatever you want to call it, or just to peace, just to mm-hmm. a better planet of coherence. Peace. Yeah, uh, that's beautifully said. I think you really encapsulated a lot of the core essence of what is needed, you know, to make the shift. and and also the impediments to it. Um, yeah, I would say it's, it's essential, you know, to, to understand that the, the science of the unified field and the implications and applications of that understanding is, is very real. And it's, been, it's actually been ridiculed for a long time. Um, in science and like for example Nassim and other physicists who are trying to pioneer another way of looking at it have been intensely ridiculed and and you know limited and trying to be shut down thank god for their perseverance and you know the beautiful thing is that with that perseverance is coming very rigorous scientific analysis of the fact that it is a superabundant unified field that we live in and it, and we understand the source of of mass. We understand the source of gravity, and we understand the dynamics of electromagnetism and and sound and how it's creating form and how it's creating balance and imbalance. And so, it's it's essential, kind of at a at the collective level, to embrace this, to open minds and open hearts to receive the fact that this is a natural, true state of reality, not the one that we've been living by for all this time that's been scarcity and domination and control and um, all, the, all that goes with it, with the warring. And, you know, this is an old mind. It's an old thinking. And it doesn't in any way need to be perpetuated. And, you know, one thing Buckminster Fuller always said was, you know, it's, it, we don't need to to fight the old systems and try to fix them. We need to create the new ones that obsolete those old ones. And that's what's happening now in really profound ways in, in technologies of energy generation and for, for restoring balance and wholeness. It's all about restoring balance and wholeness, basically. Everything we're talking about is restoring balance and wholeness in the, in the material world, in the consciousness, in the field as a whole, as you know, in the coherence of the field. And so there's te- the technological side, there's the personal side with these coherence engendering practices, very physical activity through martial arts or playing music, as well as the, the inner ways that we can center ourselves and not be so, you know, pushed around by our own emotions and, and victim thought patterns and things like that. And just be open now to 
pragmatically, not just fluff idealism. When that's, again, it's, it's in a way there's nothing wrong with that because we have to hold the ideal in mind. We have to be willing to go, you know, this can be real. This peace on earth thing is not just a new age dream. It actually can be real. We have everything available to us now to make that possible, more so than in the past even 50 years. Uh, and we are accelerating and it's essential we embrace the larger context of what the value of our technological powers are, not just to be able to create AI because it's cool, you know, <laughs> let's see who can get there first or genetically engineer because, wow, we could mutate and do some weird shit. <laughs> but, uh, but to actually use it for a higher purpose, um, you know, 20 years ago, I was, I was working with Barbara Marks Hubbard uh, as co-director of the Foundation for Conscious Evolution, and bless her, she just passed away a couple months ago. Um, and, you know, she coined the, or popularized the idea of conscious evolution, and that's what we're talking about here. Engaging fully and consciously with our intention and our attention into making this shift real, and of course people are, are waking up to that and participating that in that all over the world in increasing numbers and getting the fact that this other stuff that's going on is just really a contrived drama, you know, on TV more than it is an actual reality. So yeah, those are some of the things I would say about that. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I definitely agree. And I see this world is so artificial and it's becoming more artificial the way that we operate the way that we're navigating it the uh things that culturally we're placing importance on it's ridiculous yeah. it's just unbelievably ridiculous it is so adolescent it's yeah. it's shocking it's just it just baffles it's just so baffling to me and so you know i think the potential we have as humanity to experience a whole new way of existing. This could be even in your personal life. Like that's where it starts. If you are a severe alcoholic addicted to drugs, stressed out doing a job that harms people, you can shift and change your whole world. Like, you know, I use this, you know, example a lot. And you know, if you are in the military, it's not a knock against you. It's just that you may have the experience where you shoot somebody or they shoot you back. There might be a great reason for either or, but that's an intense experience right? You might uh, have a job where your job is to kind of like host people for all the money that you can get or, you know, it's just not good, you know? And so if you switch that to something that's a little bit more uh, enjoyable for you, something more aligned with your passions, maybe you're a military guy or you're working in, a, I have an amazing friend of mine who worked in the slaughterhouse and I, said, I was like, bro, mm. like it's not good for your consciousness. There's a lot of, uh, you know, again, mm. not, not to say about meat, it's just that job specifically has a lot of um, mm. implications for your quality of consciousness. I was like, that's where he's showing up every day. And he said it was like the wild, wild west of the workers and all this. And I was like, I bro, if you shift, you know, now he's at a, ideally a little bit of a better job, but that changed his reality, the way that he showed up every day as an nice. individual, we can start there. And so my question is, what do you see is possible. Let's just say there's a switch goes on. Everybody decides to stop. You know, the craziness stops to happen. If there are forces that are really suppressing us, that eases up a little bit. And just mm -hmm. to talk about um, the science moving forward too, you know, these are old institutions that have vested interest to keep things the same and those theories the same. And it's not ideal to have these new ideas that have potential grounds. There's a lot of funding. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of history. Exactly. And there's a lot of clout. Imagine you being a professor for 20 yeah. years and then that theory is now gone. You're screwed in all oh, yeah. those other people. So there's a, 
there's a huge vested Very. interest in this. And that's what's happening, you know, in science. If you think about taxi drivers, you create Uber. It's an, it's an upgraded system. And in Vancouver, they pick it. But there are things that become obsolete with technology. There's going to be things that come obsolete within science. And the more scientists that can be open to the greatest good, using your big brain to do something good, focus there. I don't care what it is and be okay with letting things go because that's what we all have to do when we learn, when we grow, we have to let parts of us that we held dear die. Like I am so afraid to listen to my podcast. If I ever do five years down the road, six months down the road, I have no idea what's going on. So I was like, Oh man, I thought that. And that's just where I was at the time through my experiences, information through whatever. It's just my best, man. I'm a neandering monkey experiencing (laughs) something. I have no idea what's going on here. So I want to ask in a direct way, what do you see as possible? If the light switch went on, we started being coherent, we moved to this next octave, you know, like the Hopi call it the fifth world, we overcome mm-hmm. this test. What mm-hmm. could we potentially experience as far as consciousness and a way of life? How would you see that work? Like the best, the most Pollyanna perspective. No, okay. no, no crap. There's no problem. Just build it. Yeah, just ideal, <laughs> ideal uh, vision here. Yeah, well. I think from a consciousness perspective, we're um, we're in the process of of uh, transcending certain kinds of mental and emotional patterns that have dominated the the human psyche based on the worldviews that have we talked about earlier. You know, the scarcity and and then the control and the the competition and you know, scientifically, it's just been so put in our faces that that's what reality is, when in fact, that's not the case. And so there's, I I really feel there's a process of transcending certain emotional, reactive states, and certain mental thought patterns, that it's, it's underway, and it's inevitable. It's not just kind of a maybe that's going to happen. I think in the evolution of a collective field of consciousness and then in, in the individuals that are comprising that field, it's inevitable that this would happen. And it coincides with the evolution of the power capacity we have in our technologies. And in order to handle that power, to be able to genetically engineer or to be able to tap the the unlimited energy potential and to to be able to understand the frequency-based impacts we can have for the good or otherwise. Um, And to handle that power requires this kind of a shift to occur. And I think it's, it's, it's a natural shift. It's not a something that has to be um, willed only. (laughs) It's actually, I think there's a, there's a, what they call a strange attractor. There's something of a higher understanding that people around the world are getting. I call it normalizing cosmic consciousness, where it becomes, instead of some far out thing beyond reach, uh, it, the, uh, collectively around the world, people are getting a cosmic perspective about who we are, what is the nature of reality. And in, as we do so, we're sort of meeting it in our daily experience, and that means it's becoming more normalized. And that's what's going to make it possible to achieve the ideal vision of peace on this planet. And you know, when we do, 
for, for instance, when we don't have to burn fossil fuels anymore on this planet, which is already possible and really ought to have happened even in the past hundred years since Tesla, you know, came up with a way to <laughs> transcend that problem. <laughs> but when that happens, then the skies and the water and the earth and the plants and the biology are going to very quickly convert the extra pollutants and eliminate them from the environment. And we have ways of actually accelerating that are, that are based on frequency. They're not based on chemical application or something like that. And so the, the, the air, the water, the soil will rapidly come back to a balanced harmonic state. And when that happens, the stressors on our experience biologically will be removed. And even the aesthetic stressors of power lines and you know, the crap, the ugliness that's out there just to have this modern world, and especially things like the electromagnetic pollution. Um, one of the things I write about in my book is research from some uh, two, two researchers in the Netherlands who have come up, they did a meta study of, of over 500 papers to determine a, a set of frequencies across 57 octaves, I think, of beneficial frequencies, frequencies that are beneficial for biology and the ones that are detrimental. So if we applied that knowledge and that data, you know, to when we create technologies, we use those beneficial frequencies, then our technologies become beneficial to our biology, not detrimental. And when you have a world that's free of all that pollution and free of that electromagnetic distortion and detriment, the psyche and the body and everything gets to relax and, and you know, people will actually be able to move beyond the, the scarcity reality that's been perpetuated into a state of comfort and, and safety you know, in a very physical way. And when that happens, people get happy. You know? <laughs> people can be in their joy rather than suffering. And we can, we can do that now. It's not some far out ideal. It's a great ideal to hold in mind. And it's, yet it's a practical, realizable outcome of applying these things in the ways we're talking about. So that's what I see. And, and it's, it's happening. And it's, I think it's just inevitable if we don't blow the show before we get there. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I love how you say it's inevitable and you, you talk about like this, this principle and I feel like it's evolution. Some might people call it God or source or whatever, but what is that pulse that takes a caterpillar and turns it into a butterfly? Yeah, Just exactly. to let, like say it's happening, like there's an evolution happening. Some sort of force is allowing this to happen. And I'm sure a caterpillar breaking out of its shell is not very comfortable. A lot of these big yeah. massive changes aren't comfortable and i think also too we need to take responsibility as individuals community in a in a world family without distinction of race color age uh money status whatever and wherever you are in the world no matter where you are do you, especially if you have influence use that for good say the words peace joy you know yeah. um bring it to be that example because we need that now we need to take a responsibility as an individual and a community and a species to make this change happen because maybe it does go to crap. I hope not, but it, it does seem like that's a very reasonable way we could go too if we don't pass this test as a, as a collective. So um, I just want to thank you for coming on the show and, and your work and so 
stoked for you to be releasing this book today. Thanks, um, I know you have a hard stop in 10 minutes, so I'll just open it up and you can share whatever you wish. But is there anything that you wish that we had talked about or you, anything that you want to leave the listeners with get in before, uh, you know, we close it up? <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, it's been so fun to have this conversation with you. And I love the way that you, you think about all this and uh, not only think about it, but you want to make it real. You want to bring it into yourself and into your life and in the world. And I can feel that so strongly and I can see it in the work you're doing. And I can see you're all about engendering the empowerment and the clear mind and, and centered heart and the coherence in, in each of us. And then therefore in the, the field. And so I, I just appreciate that tremendously, Matt, for what you're bringing in as well. And I am grateful to have this chance to talk with you and, do so on the day that I'm just launching my book. It's just on Amazon and print and Kindle versions as of today. And I'm super excited about that. It actually got uh, number one new release in cosmology today. Uh, yeah, which man. Is awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and then the, and actually both the Kindle and the print was on number three. So I was like, wow, cool. Um, and uh, yeah, there's some, I have a website at cosmometry.com where people can go and check out a little bit about what the book is about. I'm actually going to to flesh out a section of the site to add uh, for every chapter of the book to be able to add like videos and, you know, animations of the geometries that are just sitting there as a static image in the book, you know, to bring it all to life. So it's going to grow a lot over the, the time ahead. Um, and yeah, I just encourage people to, to, um, to really take a look more deeply into what is happening through what I'm sharing in Cosmometry, through Resonance Science Foundation, through Thrive, through what you're bringing forth, and just numerous resources around the world. And to really, um, to really go into a place of trust that this stuff is real because when we get the reflection we're getting from mainstream media and all the the crap that's out there it can be so disheartening you know and it can also be really hard to be in our joy in the face of it like the the, the gravity of the world situation is so intense you know the mass extinction that's happening on the planet is unprecedented i mean it's happened in other ways before but not from primarily human cause um, so it can be very disheartening and it's, it's really essential that we can see the larger vision. We can feel the, the, the approaching potential to make this leap and to pass the test and to bring ourselves into what I call the joy body, you know, to really ride reside in the place where we're actually radiating our key energy. We're not contracted. We're not in fear and we can, allow that that universal life force flow to come through us and share that in the world and then find the ways that each of us can uh empower the 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 realization of these new technologies these new social systems these new currencies the ways that we can create that which makes the cooperation collaboration and coherence happen in the world and it's happening everywhere. You know, it's really cool to see. <laughs> and um, just really go into a state of trust that that's what is happening. And it is inevitable. And when we each choose it, we're, we're empowering it in the world. 
Um, so those, those are the, the things I would say. Um, I hope you're going to come to our, our retreat in the Redwoods this, this July. I, I, I'm sure you're aware of that uh, through the Resonance Academy. I don't know. I don't know. I, man, uh, I'm, I'm in my own world here. You got to keep me up with the cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, July in uh, right here in Santa Cruz in Scotts Valley is a beautiful retreat center called 1440. Uh, Foster and Kimberly Gamble are going to be there. Bruce Lipton and Greg Braden are going to be coming through in, in Zoom for a, a collaborative session with them in the sim. And it's going to be five days with, you know, all the kinds of people we went to Egypt with hanging out together and having uh, resonance talks, which are going to be like little TED Talks uh, from all sorts of people and some great music and experiential workshops and things like that. So that's in uh, late July. And if people want to check that out at uh, resonancescience.org, that's the Resonance Science Foundation's website. My website is cosmometry.com. So good places to check out what's happening. Yeah, man. Well, Marshall, that was such a beautiful closing statement. I totally agree. And uh, I'll just second all those thoughts and I'll just invite everybody to check out your book because the way that you've put it together and I'm so excited about what you're going to bring to the future because the, the, uh, the images in there, the illustrations, and you know, if you have the ability to animate those, that's going to be absolutely spectacular. So, um, I just want to acknowledge you for all the work and all the effort and all the intention that you hold to bring this forth because it is, um, a ton of work to do all that. So I recognize that and you and I recognize the intention to, you know, do your part to try to improve the planet because um, it's important and we need that. So just thank you so much for, for yeah. everything that you're doing. And I invite everybody to check out your book, um, leave a review on, on Amazon when you get it. Cause those help um, yeah. support Marshall. But yeah, man, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks Matt. I appreciate it so much. I really enjoyed it and look forward to doing it again sometime. And yeah, come to uh, the retreat. We'd love to have you there. Sounds your, good. Your energy's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Well, have an amazing day, my friend, and thank you so much for coming on the uh, show. Thank you. Be well. Okay. See you guys. Peace. Peace. All right, there you have it, guys. The absolutely phenomenal Marshall Leverts. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. If you did and you want to support, please take a moment now to share the episode, to take a screenshot, share on Instagram and everywhere you can. Really helps to get the word out. Thank you to all of my patrons, everybody who's left a review on iTunes. It really helps as well. I invite you guys to check out Marshall's website and his book, Cosmometry. It is really fascinating stuff, you know, exploring physics and sacred geometry and consciousness. It's just a really mind-expanding book and I highly recommend it so definitely check out his work for those of you guys who are interested in coaching you want to do some training hit me up matt at zenathlete.com whether it's for you your organization or you're working with kids I love working with kids as well so hit me up and I'm happy to put a program together for you and uh, be connected to your group and whatever you're working on so I think that wraps it up Um, make sure to do one kind act for someone today if you want to support the show that's always the best thing that you can do but let's wrap this up by Uh, coming to a state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, connection, empowerment, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for your time, for your attention, for your energy, for your being. I appreciate you, and we'll see you in the next episode.